This is an explanation I gave on mental prayer in Loyola, Spain, at the very site of St. Ignatius of Loyola's conversion. But you have to remember that when Ignatius of Loyola and Teresa of Avila were teaching how to do this mental prayer, oración mental, or just oración for um, Teresa of Avila, they weren't trying to copy the Protestants, kind of like what we see in the modern American Catholic Church. We've got to keep up with what evangelicals are doing. There was no internet. They weren't in communication. The, the fact is that it was the Holy Spirit teaching Ignatius of Loyola, which ended up spreading across all of Europe, tens of thousands of even laymen. I think by the end of the 16th century, there were several hundred thousand laymen that went through what's called his spiritual exercises. And for Teresa of Avila, uh, the way that she taught her nuns ended up spreading to also many lay people. There's kind of a, a modern myth among some traditionalists that I have to leave mental prayer to the priests and the nuns, and I'll stick with my rosary. Now, when people ask me all the time, should I, should I pray the divine office, should I pray the breviary, I say, if you really look at what the saints say for lay people praying, the number one thing I would encourage everyone to do is the daily rosary, at least five decades. I preached from the pulpit before, five decades for purity of hands, 15 decades for purity of mind. So then I think the number one thing, if you only have 20 minutes of prayer, make it the rosary. If you have another 20 minutes of prayer, I would say make it mental prayer. And, and mental prayer sounds like an advanced term. It kind of sounds a little heady, but here's what it really means. is just meditation on the gospel. But by oración, it's with all of the heart, all of the imagination, um, even all of the emotions. And again, we as Catholics are rightly uh, hesitant to jump into anything that's emotional. But as I walk you through how Ignatius of Loyola would have done mental prayer, you're going to really see that because God is incarnate, he can use our imagination as a launching point to union with God. Um, we can't bring ourselves to contemplation, but by God's grace, we can start meditation, and that does take a little bit of elbow grease ourselves. Okay, so back to what I was saying about the, the Protestants and, and Ignatius of Loyola and Teresa of Avila. What happened to Ignatius of Loyola is he was actually a very bad dude. Um, some Jesuits will tell you he had illegitimate kids running all over, this is before his conversion, by the way. Some say he even had illegitimate kids running all over Europe. I've heard that from Jesuits before. Um, what happened when he got hit by a cannonball, and by the way, one of the first books I read as a kid on, on saints, I was like 12, year old, 12 years old at the Castlewood Library in Denver, and I was reading the, the book of how he took a cannonball to the leg, and then it mentioned later his canonization, and all the future saints for the next like six months, I thought they all took cannonballs also <laughs> because of that word canonization. Um, he was canonizing that year? So, it's a different situation, obviously. So when he takes this cannonball, and I didn't know this till today talking to Vanessa, that he was both born here and taken here after, after he was wounded. So he's reading uh, the life of Christ and the lives of the saints, and when he read the life of St. Dominic and St. Francis of Assisi, this might sound a little Pelagian. Pelagian is this idea you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This intense Ignatian warrior, or I shouldn't say Ignatian, Basque warrior, he just looked at that and said, if they did it, I can do it. That life of penance. Now, we, we would look at that and be like, well, maybe that's a little bit prideful or whatever. But God used that zeal intensely. But then, when he was in the cave of Manrasa, when he looked at how many mortal sins he had committed, really what a bad man he had been, and he was faced with the justice of God, he almost committed suicide in the cave of Manrasa as he looked at what a huge conversion he had. He was, very, he was really in the throes of despair. But God gave a miracle 
I would say is equal to what St. Paul experienced. Next to the river outside Manresa, um, he was given, the, it was almost a Matrix-like movie download of the Incarnation and the Redemption and one other thing, oh, the Trinity. Can you imagine? And this, this was an unlettered man and God gave him the entire mental download instantaneously of the greatest mysteries of our faith. And then he went on to found uh, the Jesuits. And so what he did is, he arrived at the University of Paris in the 16th century, and by now he was walking but still had a major limp, short, tough little man, and uh, he went to go take care of the people who had the plague. So he was already in trouble with the faculty at University of Paris, and he started trying to meet some of the best, most intense, most excellent men that he could. And so he met Peter Favre and Rodriguez and these other guys. One guy found him extremely annoying and wanted nothing to do with him, and his name was Francis Xavier. <laughs> Francis Xavier held the uh, high jump record at University of Paris. He died a virgin, like Francis of Assisi, but he, lived, he also lived, unlike Ignatius, Francis Xavier was kind of a partier, even though he, he never committed moral sins of the Sixth and Ninth Commandment. He was definitely a partier. He was hanging out with the wrong people. And he tried to avoid Ignatius of Loyola. He's always running out of money because of his partying. And finally, he had to borrow money from Ignatius. Ignatius was a very poor man, but he just happened to have some. And then eventually, Francis Xavier decided to take these spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. In these spiritual exercises, you do four or five single-hour mental prayer sessions like what I'm going to teach you, using your imagination. And Francis Xavier gave himself so intensely, and he realized how much God loved him in this stuff. He responded with a, with a penance so radically, he ended up on these 30 days wrapping himself in ropes to mortify the flesh, to macerate the flesh. And in this, he almost died. It actually cut off his circulation because... As I said earlier, Francis Xavier did nothing in moderation. So he went from being a partier to looking at, just like Ignatius, his sins, realizing how much God loved him, how much he wanted to entregarse, give himself over to God entirely, that he took on this extreme penance, almost died. They prayed to Our Lady, and by a miracle of Our Lady, uh, he was healed of his extreme penance. Well, what happened is Francis Xavier wanted nothing more to go than to go to the missions. But basically what Francis uh, Ignatius of Loyola had him do, by the way, they were going to go to Jerusalem. They didn't make it because of different wars in Turkey and stuff. So they ended up going from Paris to Rome, met the Pope. The Pope said you can get it ordained by any uh, bishop outside a 40-mile radius outside of Rome. We'll talk later about why that was the rule. They go outside. They all get ordained. They don't make it to the Holy Land. They go back to Rome. and They just start working in the hospitals. And the hospitals back then were extremely filthy. This wasn't like you know, working in a modern American or European hospital. So they started with the poor. Um, and then as the Jesuits start to get known as really the most excellent priests in all of Europe, you start getting invitations. King John in Portugal, all over the place, they want them to stand against Protestantism, to form their men. And this is the century, you have to remember, when all of a sudden we have inter-Atlantic, or rather um, inter-oceanic travel now. This is the first century that you have people go, well, Francis Xavier wanted to go to the missions, but Ignatius knew he also had to teach him not just how to macerate the flesh, but also how to mortify his will. So he had him as a paper pusher. He was basically his letter writer for a long time. All he wanted to do was go to the missions, and he has him write letters, write letters, write letters. Finally, one of the guys he's going to send from Lisbon all the way to Goa, India, gets sick, and Ignatius of Loyola says to Francis Xavier, this is your enterprise. Can you imagine that? Imagine seeing one saint say to another saint, 
Who's going to go on to baptize 500,000 people in India? This is your enterprise. Imagine watching that. Mm -hmm. So this is a very manly order. They never had a female branch of, of, um, of, the, uh, of the Jesuits. And it's, in some sense, it is based on this warrior attitude, this militaristic um, hierarchy of, of obedience that Ignatius had originally in the military, that you really can't win a war um, without obedience. And, and he really understood this is a battle for souls. This is why he was able to go from wanting to be a great warrior on the battlefield to wanting to be a great warrior on the battlefield for souls. So what I'd like to give you is one of the ones that Ignatius of Loyola wrote himself, a meditation that he gave to his men. It's called the two standards, and a standard is just another word for a flag. Um, and I'd like to lead you through that so you can understand really how the imagination is okay to use for Catholics and really how God uses that to bring you in union. Obviously, the most important faculties we have is our intellect and will, but God can use the lower faculties of, of imagination to launch us into this because it's ultimately in our will where we want to be in union with God. But Ignatius of Loyola realized we are humans and it's okay to, um, to use the emotions and our imagination to bring us to really see who Christ was. So the two standards, it's the two flags, and this is probably what St. Francis Xavier would have heard on, on the 30-day silent retreat, if you can believe that, that these spiritual exercises, the rules of discernment, this was the book, and by the way, numerous popes have said that the spiritual exercises and especially the rules for discernment are the church's gold standard. I know we as modern Catholics kind of have in our mind the Jesuits are the bad boys of the Catholic Church, right? Or the, the wimpy boys nowadays of the Catholic Church. But really, numerous popes have said the rules of discernment are the gold standard of the interior life, discerning where you are in life, where you're supposed to be going. And I, we don't have infinite time here, so I... I'd like later to talk about the actual rules of discernment. Maybe I'll talk about that in my sermon um, in Lord's tonight. But here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to lead you briefly through the, um, the two standards. Ignatius, again, the, the, is the really manly Spanish, don't use a lot of adjectives, but his description is still uh, quite gargantuan, possibly even bombastic. So here's what he has you do. He actually has the battlefield set up, what, the size of like a modern uh, rugby field? No. Lacrosse field? No. Football field? No. He has the modern battlefield where you're going to picture Jesus' side versus Satan's side as Israel all the way to modern-day Iraq. This is the battlefield <laughs> that this warrior has set up. So it's enormous. Now, if you can't picture Israel to Iraq, which I can't, picture something. And what we're going to picture is a, a huge, literally a physical battle. Not just a spiritual battle, he actually has you picture this as a physical battle of Jesus' team on one side and Satan's team on the other side. And every time I read this, I really picture Lord of the Rings. Whether you like the book or the movie, you can picture Lord of the Rings where you just have this enormous setup of the two flags. So here's what we have on one side. You have Satan's flag. It's this big, black, ugly thing. And Satan's seated. It's interesting. Most people kind of skip over that. We're going to see Jesus is standing as a servant, as one who, who fights with us. Satan's arrogant. He is sitting on this throne, surrounded by thousands of ugly demons. And it's, uh, Ignatius of Loyola says, they go out to every part of the world to try to ensnare man in the world, the flesh, and the devil, in one way or the other. They're crafty, and they're everywhere. 
And so these slimy creatures, every time I do it, I actually do picture the movies, the orcs, uh, around some really horrible creature who's Satan. You have Satan under this big black flag. And what happens is these demons are just snarling and sputtering as they're ready to go against the other side. What is the other side? The other side is, it's the, it's the flag of Christ the King. And here he is standing, surrounded by millions of angels and saints. Here you have the martyrs. Here you have, and you have to remember, like, Ignatius went from wanting to kill to wanting to be killed. He went from wanting to win on the battlefield to learning it is the cross that is our victory. And so under the banner, under the flag of the cross, is our resurrected Christ. And, and Ignatius, who obviously was as straight as they come, said, he has you meditate on the beauty of his countenance. The beauty of Christ's countenance. So imagine the beauty of, of Christ risen, surrounded by his greatest saints, Our Lady, St. Joseph, all these Martyrs whose wounds are also glorified on this battle for the salvation for souls. And then, here's where it gets really personal, is you have to figure out where you are on that battlefield. Are you in the 50-yard line? Are you on Satan's side? Are you with Christ, but you're hesitant to carry that cross? And so what he has you do in, in the two standards, after you set all this up, and, he's, and he has you spend, if you spend an hour on this, it's totally fine to use your imagination to picture these snarling orc-like demons, all the darkness, the selfishness, as you know, C.S. Lewis has them always fighting. Actually, Father Ripper would say that too, that there's, there's, they have to follow a certain hierarchy, but really they hate each other. There's, there's really no unification except for a certain hierarchy too. Um, to attack because they have to obey Satan and the chain of command, as Father Ripperger says. But then you have this kingdom of light, of love, of generosity. Um, it's the kingdom of truth. And instead of being seated like Satan, it's Christ who is standing to fight for us and with us. And so, like, you can see how Ignatius, who was brought into this house after a battle, who had possibly illegitimate kids running across Europe by now, realized he had been tricked. He didn't see these demons. He was on the side of evil, but he didn't know it. And now all he wants to do is fight for this kingdom of light. And this one line is very typical of the Ignatian way. He says, at least once in the spiritual exercises, consider what Christ has done for you And then ask what you should do for Christ. I mean, you can spend an hour on that, right? You can spend five hours on that. As you look at the cross of Christ, he just says, As I consider what Christ has done for me, I ask myself, What ought I to do for Christ? So I'm giving a pretty um, colorful explanation of all this, but, but a lot of times, it's just very few words, but those, those very few words, and he, he really puts it that person, what ought I do to do for Christ? He has you enter into this mental prayer for that time. So can you imagine Francis Xavier 
who maybe for the first time has imagined this battlefield after just, and he was actually studying to be a priest by the way. Francis Xavier is the high jump record who was partying with his friends. He was studying at the University of Paris just to become a priest, just to become a bishop, just to become a cardinal, just to climb the ranks and be a pretty lukewarm priest. He wasn't gonna go destroy the church. He wasn't gonna go live as Ignatius lived before his conversion. He was just gonna be a real basic lukewarm priest. And then Ignatius has him see what Christ has done for him. And then he asks, Ignatius asks Francis Xavier, what ought I to do for Christ? And Francis, Francis Xavier responds by baptizing 500,000 people. So this notion that Protestants have a relationship with Christ and we shouldn't, I mean, this is, this is what changed all of Europe for how Teresa of Avila, and I can give you one of her meditations later, how Teresa of Avila taught her nuns, very similar, using the imagination, and how Ignatius of Loyola taught, taught his men that really mental prayer has to be the gasoline for your whole day, whether that's mass, whether that's divine office, whether that's rosary. You can even bring this stuff into the rosary, um, because otherwise it, we run the danger of just rattling off prayers if the basis isn't this. And this is why, as I, as I said earlier, the saint, or I was going to get to this point, the saints are really clear. If you lay people after your rosary, have time for anything divine office or mental prayer. You have to make it mental prayer. You should make it meditation. You should make it meditation on the Gospels above and beyond the divine office. We priests are bound to the divine office. You're not. But really, our, our Roman bravery stays a little bit dry if we're not bringing this meditation, this relationship with Christ. Okay, we got is that a wrap it up thing? Oh, okay, well, sure. um, we probably should wrap it up. I'm happy to give some, some of these uh, meditations uh, through the Gospels as we go on. I don't do a lot, as I said in the blue bus yesterday, I don't do a lot of things well, but leading these meditations is, is one thing I do well, and I really love um, doing it. And I'd like to show you how easy it is to become mystics. I don't use that word lightly. That's, that's why several hundred thousand laymen who didn't become Jesuits ended up taking these spiritual exercises, um, is because... God actually wants a mystical relationship with every one of you. I know it feels like the humble trad thing to say he doesn't, but he actually does. And, and that's why hundreds of thousands fled to these spiritual exercises. Whether you only have time for an eight-day one, or you can do a full 30-day one like I did, pretty much everyone has mystical experiences. Now, Ignatius Loyola is really careful to say all of these fall under the traditional magisterial. He didn't have to use the word traditional in the 16th century but we have to now. All of these, all of your experiences have to fall under the traditional magisterium of the church. That way you know if, you know, in your prayer Jesus says something to you that's against the church, then it actually wasn't from God. Really basic stuff. So there has to be, the, the, one of the main rules of discernment is that it is under the aegis of the Catholic Church's rules. But we can talk about that later. So that's the two standards. That's just a tiny example of, of this, but you really do pick, you don't just picture an objective battle. You have to picture yourself on that, on that battlefield. Are you on the 50-yard line? Are you ready to follow Christ, but there's just a couple things you can't really give over to Christ in? Where do you want to be fighting for soul? And you don't have to be a man ready to join the Jesuits or some missionary order. All of us are called to follow Christ crucified. All of us are called um, to give everything, essentially, 